Good morning, good morning. How's everybody? I am so excited to be here. Uh, I'm uh, Danny. This is a church that I help teach at every once in a while if you're new. Uh, welcome. Thank you for being here uh, today. I am one of the pastors, and I'm going to be sharing with you. And actually, I'm going to be sharing with you for about the next 10 weeks straight, um, all the way into and through Easter, uh, because uh, God has just laid some really neat stuff on my heart. And so I just wanted to kind of share that with you guys that, uh, that I'm going to be around. I have, a, I have a pretty interesting rhythm. I'm, I'm four or five on and one off usually, but um, with all that's happening within the church um, and all the things that we're about to reveal uh, coming up here soon, um, I'm going to be here the next few months straight. So uh, uh, please come join us, bring friends, be a part. Uh, it's just going to be a really, really neat time. Um, that said, uh, also let you know that uh, Pastor Tom will be giving an update in the next few weeks. A lot of exciting stuff to announce to you guys. And so uh, for those of you who are still uh, giving and a part of the downtown project, please continue to do that. Uh, we are making arrangements as we speak. We had a great discussion today with the Main Street community this morning, the downtown community, about what that transition will look like. And uh, a lot of stuff moving forward. So really good, really excited. And again, I'll get Tom up here in the next few weeks to share with you guys. So uh, thank you so much for being a part. Thank you for visiting if you're here today. Uh, it's going to be a really fun service, and I think, it'll, I think it'll really bless you. So that said, let me pray, and then we will dive right in. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, today for what it is you're about to reveal. I ask that from this moment on that any agenda, any... Uh, plan, any distraction, anything that would keep us from hearing you, from, from receiving from you, would just be minimized, would be muted, and would be cast out. I know, Lord, we all come from different stories and different backgrounds. We're all approaching today this uh, message from you from different standpoints, and I love that, Lord, for it is only you, the Holy Spirit, the masterful communicator that can make uh, these simple words into the complex answers and the complex meanings we all need for our daily lives. And so I pray just that, that you, God, would uh, whisper into our hearts, that you would mend, that you would lift up, that you would encourage, that you would convict, that you would restore, that you would renew, that, Lord, this service today would just be something supernatural, that we would experience a lightning in our lives because of you who cares and bears all of our burdens. I thank you, Father, for every person here we lift your name above all that we're about to discuss. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Uh, and we're going to be getting into today the life of a man by the name of Stephen. And Stephen is an interesting uh, character in the Bible because Stephen is not one of the main 12. This is the first time that the passage, uh, the Acts kind of goes off on a different tangent. It starts highlighting someone than then that 12 uh, apostle group that was leading the church that, that Pentecost fell down and through. And all of a sudden, you'll, you're about to see that they're having difficulties in their church plant. Pretty normal thing. They're having some structure issues. They're having some organizational issues, and so they have to build a team, and as you'll see, Stephen is one of the members of that team. So let's start in chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said... It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Verse 6, These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, there's a lot happening inside this passage, but I want to highlight just a few different things. First, I want to highlight that even the apostles in their church plant had organizational problems. Okay, that, that churches, 
and church governance and church leadership and church structure has always been difficult because church is full of people and it's led by people and people are broken and people are busted and people need to get together like these guys did, go before the Holy Spirit and say, what are we supposed to do? The Holy Spirit said, this is what I want you to do. I don't want you as apostles who are called to teach and preach to stop doing what you're doing. What I want you to do is appoint a team to go and serve these widows. Now, these widows were widows from the Hellenist Jews. And what they were complaining about were that that these widows lived outside the city of Jerusalem and that they were not being taken care of because the church was so core right now. You're, You're realizing the church lives right now pretty much only within Jerusalem. And you're about to see through persecution the church scatter. But at this point, everything's about the apostles. It's about the way they function, the way they are. It's about even, you know, they said they laid uh, their sick out so Peter's shadow could, could uh, maybe heal them as it went by. And by the way, it never said Peter's shadow healed anybody. It just said people thought that way. So these Hellenist Jews said, our widows are not being taken care of by the church because we're not part of the action. What are you going to do? And so what I love is that Peter didn't go, well, I guess I'll start, I'll I'll go do that. Uh, Oh, that's a need. I'll go do that. Oh, you have a need. I'll go do that. A lot of times that's what people in church want. They want the faces or the people preaching or teaching to be the ones that show up at everything. And these guys said, that's not what we're called to do. So they raised up what's called a deacon team. They raised up a group of people and said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to be organized, you're going to be structured, and you're going to go out and be the hands and feet of the church. Now, that idea of hands and feet of the church is not something just made up. It's not something like we're the hands and feet of Jesus. It's incredibly biblical because the reality is we are called as the body of Christ to be all parts of that body. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4 says, now there are a variety of gifts but the same spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit of the common good. Then it skips down, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks. Slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now, this is very important. And it's very, very important for a couple different reasons. It's very important, first off, because if you don't figure out as part of this church what part you're supposed to play, then I'm going to tell you right now, right away, you're going to be frustrated. I'm also going to say this. For those of you who've attended Kesset a long time, because you've been through some of those, this is your Sunday to leave sermons, right? I have those every once in a while. This is your Sunday to leave sermons. There's so many great churches in Vancouver, and why, why keep yourself out of blessing that church with your community if that's where you're called to be? And we want to be a church full of people who feel called here, not a church full of people who feel attracted here. It's incredibly different. Called and attracted are, are incredibly different. As a matter of fact, I should add that to my, you should put that in my notes. I want to add that to all of my marriage sermonettes from now on. Because when you stand before God and get married, what you're saying is God has called me to this person, not that you're just attracted to this person. And when you're in a church, right, the bride of Christ, you're in a sense kind of in a marriage. And the idea is that you're called, not attractive, but you're called to a specific part. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're called here and you're still frustrated, it might be because you're functioning as the wrong part of the body. You're an ear trying to hear, right? You're an eye trying to see. But when you become an ear trying to see and an eye trying to hear, you bother everybody because that's just freaky weird. And some of you, you, you function in church a little bit freaky weird, okay? You, you, people see you and they're like, 
what is that? And you're like, are you listening to what I'm saying? And people are like, I don't, this is so uncomfortable for me. Okay, one of the easiest places to see this, yet most obvious, are people who cannot sing who think they can sing. And most of the reason people think they can sing is because they sing in the shower or the car with tons and tons of white noise. And so they sing and they're like, I'm so good at this. And then they walk into church with microphones and click tracks and, and actual beats and rhythm and, and harmonies. And people are, who can sing are like, oh, oh, Lord bless you, but, but this isn't good. And then people are like, I cannot believe you don't think I can sing. I don't even understand. Like I sing in the bathroom all the time. Do you know how many people you function in church within your spiritual gift in the shower and the car? You walk around in, these, in, these, in this situation without really understanding what God has called you to be, how God has called you to function. Recently, when we got our building, there was a group of people I was scared to talk to. I'm just going to be very honest. And it was all people with the gift of generosity. I don't get along with those people. I don't understand how to connect with those people because they give and 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 help. And a lot of times I'm the guy who feels like I'm always giving and, and that's maybe not my highest gift. I'm a teacher. I'm a preacher. That's what I do. I lead. And so sometimes I have a big boundary guy about, and those people are like, I want to give and I want to give. But I had to learn to speak to those people because what it took for us to cover the move into the new building and for us to cover all that stuff required the people in our church who were gifted and generous to give. And so suddenly I started spending time with these people, understanding why they gave, understanding their hearts. And Kessid's giving within our church has, it has never turned back. The way that these people are supporting our church. Now I say that, and some of you in here are like, now what exactly are you saying? Are you saying that not all of us are required to give? No, I'm not saying that. Don't think that right away. You're like, I do not have the gift of generosity, Pastor Danny. I have the gift of Sunday attendance. That's what I have. I'm here every Sunday. I know some of these generous people, and I just want you to know they are not here every single Sunday. They might be sending checks, but they're not sitting in seats. And so I just want to stop for a second. Stop for a second. Okay, you just need to calm down. We need all gifts here. Okay? We need all the gifts. We need people who attend and serve and, and, and push carts and set up and tear down. We need prayer warriors here. We need teachers and leaders and speakers, and we need givers. We need people completely different than us. And we need to be okay that I see and ears hear and hands grab and feet walk and knees bend and, and arms lift, and we need to see people. We need to encourage people. But if you are frustrated in your church attendance, and I'm, and I'm guessing it's in all past church attendance. And I'll even prophesy a little bit that if you don't deal with it inside your heart, it'll be all future church attendance. If you think you're a singer, but you're really a giver, you're never going to be happy. You're never going to be the person God wants you to be. All throughout the Bible, and I'll put this little screen up, God wants you to be you. He built you to be you. And he did it in a beautiful way, in a valuable way. And what you're about to see in Stephen's life is that when you take what God has called you to do serious, when you take it for really what it is, God will use it in ways that will magnify and glorify him beyond your wildest dreams. Amongst this group, this widow feeding group, this group outside of Jerusalem, away from the action, there was Stephen. Listen to verse 9, chapter 6. And Stephen, who's described as full of grace and power... He was full of grace and power, doing great wonders and signs among the people. How do you do great wonders and signs among the widows that you're feeding? Like, Stephen, that's apostle work. That's Peter work. What, what are you doing? Are you, like, feeding the widows, and then their food runs out, and then you're like, come on, Lord, and then more food shows up? Like, what's going on there? How are you having great signs and wonders doing, doing this, this stuff that no one's even paying attention to? But Stephen took it upon himself to be the person God called him to be. He did it so much that eventually people begin to notice. Verse 9, Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Syrians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Silica and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. They disputed with Stephen, the widow feeder. But Stephen, taking this very seriously, it says they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. They're like, why are you feeding all these widows in such a way? And Stephen was like, oh, you want to orate about the widow ministry that I'm leading? Holy Spirit. 
People are like, what? You are taking this thing way too serious. Do you know that Pastor Chris Potter, our own Pastor Chris Potter, do you know the very first time I ever met him was in a conflict with another student in my youth group, go figure, (laughs) that I was mediating and eventually what I realized that Chris Potter had such strong leadership and such strong drives that I put him in charge of our setup and tear down chair ministry. It was 600 chairs. Chris did it all by himself for like a couple weeks. Then he built a team. Then he built a team. Then he built a team. After a while, Chris Potter was the most vicious, aggressive, magnificent setup and chair leader I have ever experienced in my life. He would walk through, he, he had this, he, you ask him about it. Is he here? Are you here, Chris? I'll embarrass you. He had this, this, this measuring tool thing that he would walk between the aisles. And he would like measure, like, hey, who set up row six? And people were like, oh, I got to go, man, Chris. And you'd have to like scoot the chairs. I mean, it was serious, man. And I, I took that stuff and, I, and we, we built, we've been together ever since, right? I still use that gift every once in a while. Some of you have experienced it. When we take ourselves and what God has called us to do serious, then the Lord magnifies himself through it. And Stephen took it serious, and he debated, and he, he confronted, and this world responded. It didn't know what to do. So it did what it always does when people are functioning as they're supposed to, when people have courage to stand for what it is they believe that God has called them to stand for, and they responded. 6 verse 11 Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like that face of an angel. Even this didn't affect him. The world responds, and we are called to sit within our callings, no matter how small, no matter how grand, and we are chosen to, to, to sit within the Spirit of God, no matter how the world responds. But we are eventually called to respond, all of us. And so Stephen does. Chapter 7, verse 2 starts what's called Stephen's speech. And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. And then he went into a monologue about church history and theology and the way that the Messiah was foretold and how the Messiah came and gave this incredible, uh, uh, detailed, historical, spiritual Uh, life-giving oration of what it meant to be part of the church. And he gave it to the church. And he's Stephen, the widow feeder. Like, he's like, I'm going to talk to you, but I got people back here who are hungry, so here's the deal. You know, and then he starts off, we won't read the entire thing, but he starts off, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham in Mesopotamia. It was like, what? What are you doing? And he's like, all right, let me just take it back to the beginning. And he walks this whole thing out. Chuck Swindoll said about this specific passage, he says this. He says, Stephen's testimony is perhaps the most detailed, listen to this, and concise history of Israel and their relationship to God of any in Scripture. Stephen was not concerned about his earthly existence, determining instead to stand firmly on the side of Jesus Christ, no matter the consequences. Stephen chose. Stephen chose to be the man God called him to be, and he chose to share it passionately, for God brought him from being this, a deacon and feeding widows to doing miracles to standing before the church and preaching something that would be written for generations to read. And then Stephen makes a huge mistake from a speaking standpoint. He closes the entire message with hard stuff. See, when you're talking to an audience that doesn't want you there, and I've had a few of these experiences, you got to use the sandwich approach. You start talking about things we all connect with, then you bring the retribution of God, and then you end with more things we all connect with. That's how you leave the room safe. 
That's how you leave the room with people kind of mediocrely applauding. They like it, but they don't know why they like it. I know this. This is a skill of mine. <laughs> it's called the sandwich approach. Now you know. Sometimes you're like, oh, he is really, really light and fuzzy this morning. It's going to get ugly in the middle. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Stephen, he has a whole other approach. Stephen, towards the end, I think takes two steps forward. And I think he clears his throat. I think the Holy Spirit said, and now. Then Stephen says this to this church that seized him and set up lies about him. These are never good words to start off a sermon. You stiff-necked people! (laughs) Uncircumcised in heart and ears! You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you! Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. By the way, you who received a law as delivered by angels and couldn't even keep it. I'm gonna go feed some widows. I appreciate you guys letting me share with you tonight. Anyways, I'll see myself out. Uh, That's of course not how it's gonna go because Stephen responds to the world's response and so the world does what the world does. The world acts. Verse 54 of the same exact chapter, very next phrase, it says, Now when they heard these things that he said, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Verse 57, but they cried out with a loud voice, and notice this, they stopped or covered their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witness laid down, the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. See, Stephen, Stephen went where God asked him to go. He went to go feed some widows, and God used him in a mighty way. The world responded by seizing him, grabbing him before its council. The world still grabs people and drags it before its council. They do it a lot on social media these days. And they said, what do you think your life's about more than you? Why do you think you have a higher cause? Why do you keep proclaiming truth? Everybody's got their own truth. I'm here to tell you, and Stephen would tell you, and the Bible tells you that none of you have truth within you, for truth is something you're measured against. You don't own it. And the truth, the Bible says, by the way, is our Lord Jesus Christ. He says himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You have no truth in you. You're measured against truth. If I was to build a house, and they said, I want a two-by-four measured by this length, the truth would be based on the measurement I was given and the tape measure that determined it. The truth would not be within the two-by-four. I want to be 84 inches. I don't feel like 84 inches today. I feel like a better house would be built with two by fours of 72 inches. Nobody cares. Sometimes you're all spewing two by four truth. When in reality, the truth is our Lord Jesus Christ who said, it is only I who determines what is true. Stephen proclaimed to them what the Lord determined what is true. And he responded to their response. And so they acted upon him and they drug him out into their courtyard and they went and began to stone him. And this is very important that you notice this because as they are stoning him, Stephen is looking up, but he's not only looking up, he's standing. It's very, very important. If I was going to be stoned, I just want you to know right now, unless the Holy Spirit, and I hope it would be, filled my life from toes to head, I would be cowered down in a ball doing everything I could to avoid and dodge every rock that was thrown at my body. But Stephen was standing, and how do we know? Because the very next verse is Stephen's reaction to the world's reaction of stoning him. Verse 59, and as they were stoning Stephen, okay, they were now throwing rocks at him. This is maybe 80 to 100 men throwing rocks at a man standing against a wall. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, listen to these words, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then verse 60 says, and falling to his knees. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen was standing being stoned, for it is only after he uttered the phrase that he then fell to his knees. 
Stephen was a man who was called to do a task, a fairly simple task in a fairly non-confrontive environment, and he did it in such a powerful way that the environment changed. Jesus does that, people. The environment changed and the manifestation of Christ in the room made everybody feel awkward because of their own stuff. And you who brought the manifestation through your life or through your works or through whatever it is you do, whatever part of the body you're called to be, oftentimes will be the focus of the stuff that people are bothered by. But Stephen then responds to that response by proclaiming what? The same thing Kesed proclaims every single week, scripture and truth. Scripture and truth, and we do it through the Spirit of God. Scripture and Spirit are the ways in which we hear from God, we base it in here, and then we move. Scripture and Spirit will never, ever contradict each other. Stop listening to people's leadings. Listen to Scripture and then weigh it against Spirit, for Spirit will never contradict Scripture. So when people go, yeah, yeah, that's good, but God's really leading me to this, you are a two-by-four worth of truth. Your, your leadings mean nothing if they're not based in Scripture, and neither do mine, which is why I tell you all the time, you better be tearing these sermons apart. They're not perfect. You better be questioning. You better be digesting. You better be living this out, and you better be going, oh, Pastor Danny, it's a little bit of you in there. My wife used to say that. I, that was a little bit of you right there. Well, it's all me. I, I almost added woman at the end of that verse. <laughs> almost. But I didn't. I said, but it's all me, love of my life, <laughs> most cherished one. And I know what she means. She meant it was just me. And sometimes it's just me. Sometimes I get frustrated. Sometimes stuff spills out. But you know what I trust? I trust because I prayed at the beginning that the Holy Spirit will filter that stuff because I'm flawed. I'm a flawed speaker, and you are all a bunch of flawed listeners. I promise you that. So two flaws, right? Don't make a right. That's just not how that works. So we need the Holy Spirit between us, like Stephen, to lift us up and cause us to stand. But if you think you're going to follow God and you're going to bring truth in a room full of people who think they are the measuring tape and not receive glares and conflicts, then you just need to pack your bags and be done with this thing. Because this is what we're called to do and be. We're called to live out Christian means little Christ, the truth of God, and that's exactly what Stephen is doing here. John 15, 18 through 21 backs everything I just said, because you know what? You shouldn't listen to me. You should listen to Scripture. If the world hates you, Jesus said, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. We are called during difficult times to raise our eyes, to raise our hearts, to raise our thoughts, it says in Colossians 3, 2, and 3. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have already died. So when people start throwing stones, they're, stone, they're throwing stones at a life that's already dead. They're trying to kill something that's unkillable because the cross of Christ has redeemed it. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, and it doesn't mean it's not scary. It just means that the Bible says that Stephen is an example of how we are all to live, glorifying Christ for his name. This is what our church is going to be about. This is who we are called to be. And we are called to do it no matter the position, no matter the place that God wants us to go. No matter how low, no matter how quiet. One of my favorite quotes I ever heard when it comes to calling said, if God has called you to be a plumber, but you're living your life as a pastor, you're missing it all. If God has called you to do things big, normal, extra normal, quiet, completely hidden, it is not up to you. It's up to what God has called you to be. He's called you to live that out, and he's called you to do it exactly as he wants. Luke 94, for he who is least among you all is the one who is great. To be least doesn't mean to be off stage. It doesn't mean to be on stage. It means to be not concerned with what other people think about what God has called me to be. That's what least means. 
If God said, you're supposed to go overseas, I can't go overseas. What would my friends and family think? If God called you to leave this church and go to another one, I can't go. This is my family. If God called you to join this church, to be a part of this church, to give and pray and serve and sacrifice, you better join and be a part and give and pray and sacrifice however he's called you to be. You don't have to be me. You don't have to not be me. You can be what you're called to be. You be you. And in that way, let God bring you this life that he wants to. Philippians 1.21, this life that Paul says is so important to him for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Paul says win-win. It's a win-win when you're doing what God wants in your life. I don't know if Stephen was even concerned about the stoning. Not based on his face. That's why they keep saying his stinking face. He did this. He's full of glory. Then they brought him in. His face is still full of glory. Then they brought him against the wall. We're going to stone you. And he's looking to heaven like, hey, there's Jesus. He was probably thinking early in the day, I get to go to be the Messiah today. Today's my day. It stinks to be you guys. You guys got to stay here and do my daily work. I'm going to heaven, bros. He had a different approach to life. And so for him, it was a win-win. Now, this is all wonderful stuff to preach about. It gets me amped up every time. I love it. And I love it because I've always been drawn to people like this. I've always been drawn to people who will risk everything to do the right thing. I've always been drawn to people who are willing uh, to, to have courage to be more than their situation and their circumstance. And so as I wrapped up this message, I thought to myself, okay, how, how am I going to, God, what do, you, what do you want for these folks to see? Because I can preach it and I can bring it, but I believe that through the Holy Spirit, you, you want to use all parts of the body to glorify all parts of the body. And so I started thinking about this in my office, and then it hit me. <laughs> I know someone who would be really good at sharing their story, and it would tie really, really well to this. And so I asked her. Her name is Erin, and I'm married to her. I said, Erin, I have this incredible sermon this Sunday. It's going to be amazing. She said, really? Sandwich, right? And then I said, and then I said, <laughs> and then I said, I'm pretty sure you're supposed to take the last third of the sermon. And she looked at me and I said, and therefore people will be, uh, you know, they will love Jesus and find all kinds of forgiveness in their life and glory will be given to God. <laughs> she brought together a little council. She really did this. We sat in my office. We prayed about it, and we realized that, that we actually think it might be disobedient if Aaron didn't share it with you today. And so she took her whole weekend and, uh, and, and wrestled with what she's about to share with you, which she's never shared public before. Um, but we both felt as a church, more importantly as a couple, and even more importantly, her and the Holy Spirit, that this was supposed to bless people in this room bringing glory to God for who he is. So, would you please give a warm, first time ever, Kessid welcome to my wife, Erin Clinton. Hello, love. So, uh, I'm going to start off Erin's story. We agreed with where Erin and I uh, first met. Erin and I met when... I was, we were both 13 uh, years old. Aaron and I are 10 days apart. Uh, she's older, if you're wondering. <laughs> so, so uh, we met 13 years old in junior high. Uh, this is what Aaron looked like when I met her. We went back to this uh, last week. She had beautiful braces and really high hairspray bangs. And uh, Aaron was really, really popular in junior high. Uh, she played uh, all the sports. She was just uh, super athletic. And, and I, all I had going for me was my drop-dead gorgeous looks. That's all I had. <laughs> That's the only thing I had going. <laughs> uh, Aaron and I did, har we hardly ever talked. Uh, we, I was actually friends more with her younger sister than I was with her. They're pretty close in age. Uh, we actually found this group photo of us, of our junior high class. And what's so funny is if you look real close, uh, Aaron and I are sitting right next to each other just about. Um, and so this... Uh, this is, we spent a couple years here together. Uh, from here, we went to different high schools. Um, our stories uh, separated. I did not see Aaron from the time I was 14, 
15 till, again, when she was about 19 years old. And so that's the season of life she's going to talk with you guys about. And uh, I'm so excited. She shared it twice already, and it's just, it's blowing my mind just um, how God is using her. And it's just, I'm just so thankful to be up here with you. So thank thank you. you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, hello. You may have heard about me before in a few of Danny's sermons. (laughs) And it's all true. It's all true. Um, Today, uh, I'm really honored and really blessed to share with you guys uh, part of my story, a time in my life that uh, God really, uh, I guess, redeemed me. So I'll pick it up. Uh, I went to high school. I went, we went to, or I went to the school we were at there for my whole life, pretty much. And then I went to a new high school, new people, um, didn't really know anybody, so you just are the new kid, you make, try to make friends, and uh, I made pretty good grades. I also, um, my junior year, I made varsity basketball at Prairie High School, and if you've been around the community at all uh, and have had teenagers, you know that was the team to make. Uh, so it was pretty amazing. Um, but that said, I also made a series of very poor choices as a young person. And uh, I ended up pregnant at 17 years old, just 17. Um, And this was one of the most frightening times of my entire life. I did not know what to do. I, I, my whole life hung in the balance of my decision of whether to have a baby or not have a baby. And so I considered all my options I would love to stand here on stage and tell you that I was keeping this baby no matter what, but that's just not true. I was very, very afraid, and I did not know how to be a mom. I didn't know if I wanted to be. I didn't know if I could go to college anymore. I didn't know what that would mean for my future. Even just getting through the school year, I didn't know. Um, So basically, as I'm considering my options, Um, Some of my close friends knew what was happening, and they were pressuring me to get an abortion. And they were, they meant well. They were like, Aaron, just do it. You can get on with your life. We can play basketball. It's going to be fine. Just, we'll go with you. It's going to be fine. I even had someone offer to pay for my abortion and let me stay at their house to recover. Um, So it was a very viable option for me. Now, I did believe in God. I accepted Jesus when I was eight years old. Uh, So I did believe their life is life, but when you are scared out of your mind and believe that your life is ending, you sometimes just don't know what to do. And I uh, ended up telling my parents and faced the giant overwhelming disappointment and pain that I caused them. And my parents were against abortion, but they allowed for me to make my own decision. Um, And I want to say, just a side note, to those of you who have had an abortion, I want you to know that I have been there, and I understand the fear and the overwhelming darkness and just the scariness and consequences of trying to figure out what you're supposed to do. So I don't judge you, and I do not condemn you. And like Danny talks about, we want Kessid to be a place where we can all come and find healing through a relationship with Jesus. So uh, the strangest thing happened to me. I went to sleep, and I had this dream. I don't remember much of what the dream was about except... It was kind of one of those like Renaissance paintings with angels and demons. And I remember waking up that next morning and I knew that I was supposed to keep this baby. I can't even tell you how I knew. I just knew. So that's what I was going to do. So I let the biological father know. And he was also my age and also very afraid. And after a few days of discussion, he chose not to be a part. And I have not talked to him since. Um, then the word got out to everyone, it seemed like. The whole school knew, um, and I had to go to school. And I will tell you, it was 
the most humiliating, um, shameful uh, time I've had to walk through. I had kids that would stand there not very far and say horrible things about me and point at me and laugh. Um, and it was just constant. So it was so bad uh, to the point I would eat lunch in one of my teacher's classrooms because the bullying was so bad. And I just want to take a second to thank teachers and other school workers in this room who open your classrooms and your spaces for kids who are undergoing that kind of bullying because I don't know where I would have gone. There was no other place for me to go. So thank you if you're one of those people who do that. Um, so here I am, utterly humiliated. Um, I was sick. I was so morning sick. I threw up at school all day long. I threw up during practice. I, I gained 80 pounds. I went from varsity basketball player to 80 pounds weight gain. I lost all my friends, including my very best friend. Um, and it was one of the hardest, humiliating, lonely, and physically exhausting times for me in my life. But, but, during this time, uh, God brought people into my life that I honestly did not expect. Uh, of course, my family was the most supportive. Um, they let me stay. They took care of me. Also, uh, I had to go to summer school because I needed to make up some credits because uh, my baby was due at the beginning of my senior year. And uh, all the misfit kids, if you've never been to summer school, <laughs> that's where all the misfit kids go who ditch school or get pregnant and you're all there together. And those kids became my friends. And the people who I was most afraid of actually not accepting me um, and just throwing me out was my church. But I can stand here and say that my church was the most kind and loving and generous and they were amazing to me and my family. They gave us the support we needed and it helped me get through this dark time and my family get through this time. And on September 18th, 1995, I gave birth to my son Gabriel. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> And uh, it was one of the most uh, victorious and joyful and amazing moments in my life. One of those moments where you can just pause and know that God has redeemed you, that he rescued you. Um, looking in his face and just that moment uh, was incredible for me. Um, 19 months later, 19 months later, uh, I met back up with Danny who was much better looking. <laughs> um, and what he doesn't say, I have to add this, because he was super uncool, because he brought a possum to show and tell at school. Who brings a pet possum to show and tell? <laughs> so, so yeah, so um, I overlooked that, that, we called him Possum Boy, actually. <laughs> um, so we got married and became a family, and uh, we had two more girls, and we have been married for almost 20 years now. So, yeah, thanks. <laughs> and I have to say that uh, when you, through either choices you've made for yourself or life circumstances, when you decide to be courageous and make a stand and do what God calls you to do, um, it's frightening. It's utterly frightening at points. And the path to redemption can be very, very painful. I'm not going to lie. I, all my worst fears came true. They all came true. But I lived. And God blessed me because I followed him out of a dark place. And when we follow out of a dark place, it's one step at a time. And the light does get brighter and brighter as you walk and walk. And so today, um, I guess I just want to encourage anyone who is in a dark place right now, whether it be from something you did 
or something that has happened, that God is there. And God will deliver you. Just like Stephen was delivered into God's hands, or like me, I delivered a baby. God's with us, no matter what is happening. And here at Kesed, we also want to be a place where we support each other. So if you are in a dark place, we are asking if you would please, please call us or email us. Let us know if we can support you. We have people waiting to walk alongside you in whatever you're going through. I mean it. And I just want to say, I guess I just want to say uh, thank you. My mom's here. My dad couldn't be here. He's away traveling. Um, and thank you to my friend Janelle, who's also here, um, who walked beside me after I had Gabe. And God is good, and he is sovereign, and he knows best for our lives. And even when you think everything is lost and your hopes and dreams are crushed and gone, he brings new ones. He really does. And his mercies are new every morning. Thank you for letting me share. You can stay standing. We're gonna, uh, I'm going to have Aaron pray over us, and we're going to go into a one more song. Just spend time in this place, the reflection, this place of asking God where it is we want to stand, where it is we want to uh, experience him, and where it is he wants us to go now. So we're just going to uh, just take a minute and just be where you are, how you are. Just be you and receive from God whatever it is he wants to share with you now. Jesus, thank you so very much. So very much for loving us. So much that you died for us even though we did not deserve it. I thank you for redeeming me. I thank you for redeeming people in this room. I thank you for your promises and your goodness. I ask, Lord, for those walking through a dark place, that you would breathe courage into them, that they would have the courage to stand, that they would surrender everything they thought they knew to you, and that they could walk as a new creation in you. I also pray for the people who aren't going through that place, that you would give them the courage to stand beside the people who need someone to walk with them right now, that those people will come forward and let us know that they want to be people who can walk with people who need it. That we could be a family, that we could be a community that loves and that's a safe place to go for people. Thank you. Thank you for Kessid. Thank you for everything you're doing. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Still wait up.